0: The week before last, part of our staff went to a leadership conference. Uh, By the way, I really like my staff. Uh, We've got to be the number one place in Chicago to work. They're a great staff. I love them. They're great. We went, part of us went to this leadership uh, conference, and one of the speakers was a lawyer named Bob Goff. Perhaps some of you have heard of him. And he told a, a very memorable story about a witch doctor and a brave little boy from Uganda. And I've been telling this story over and over again, but in my audience today are some of those who are younger, so I will speak in a little bit of code It's not to freak everybody out. So try to listen if you can. Some people believe in certain parts of Uganda, not the whole country, just a portion, um, specifically witch doctors, believe that Parts of children have magical powers, and i 'm going to introduce you to a certain witch doctor this morning. who was one of the most famous ones ever. You can see a picture of him up here, very uh, evil man who had a history of taking these parts from children and there was one time where the witch doctor removed the genitalia of a certain little boy and left him but unlike the other victims, this brave little boy did not die, but he lived. And not only did he live, but he lived to testify against the evil witch doctor. But the problem in uh, Uganda, at least the portion that we're talking about here, is that witch doctors don't get taken to trial. There's a lot of fear surrounding what they do, and no one wants to mess with them or touch them. And, And this is where the American lawyer Bob Goff comes into the picture. And here's a little little shot of him with this little boy. Bob Goff, obviously, is the lawyer there. Now, what he did is he brought this little boy to trial, and they were able to bring uh, a, a conviction against this witch doctor and have him put into jail for life. Now, not only did that happen, but Bob Goff wasn't done with the little boy because, obviously... The little boy has some serious mutilation. Well, surprisingly, this doctor, I think out of San Diego, interacted with Bob Goff and said, hey, I can repair that. I can make, I can repair it and I'll do it totally for free. And so Bob Goff went over there, got this little boy, became his legal guardian, brought him to the States. And before he had the surgery, he took him to Disneyland and everything. But also, the the story became so popular of this brave little boy that the White House heard about it, and the little boy was also invited to the White House while he was here in the States. And he had the surgery, and it's successful. But Bob Goff was not done. He goes back to Uganda, and he wants to go to that prison where the witch doctor's at. So he goes to the prison, shares the gospel with this evil witch doctor, leads him to the Lord. No joke. And then a while after, he watches the witch doctor preach the gospel in prison and lead tons and tons of of prisoners who are on this death row to the Lord and they're converted to Christ. I've been telling that story over and over again because it is an amazing story of of God working in so many different ways and and Bob Goff got to be part of that. But as I'm I'm telling that story, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I want to live stories like that. Do you? I I want in on that. I mean, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, but I want to somehow push back evil, do good see someone rescue or helped, and come to the Lord. I, I, I want in on that action. I want to do that stuff. Yeah, you? Yeah, we do. And, and, and here's the heart that kind of drives Bob Goffin, and it drives all of us, and I love this quote from him. He, here's the quote. His, his life emphasis is this. You ready? Love God, love people, do stuff. Isn't that great? Love God, love people, do stuff. Simple. A- and the stuff we're talking about today, that's the portion we're going to focus on, the do stuff, not a really hard sermon to understand, do stuff. That's what we're going to talk about, is, is good works. We're going to talk about the good works of doing stuff. This summer we've been doing something called the fruit of the Spirit, and each week we covered love and joy and peace and and patience, and today we come to goodness. And when we talk about goodness, we could talk about character and integrity, but we could also talk about when the Bible talks about goodness, it talks about good works. And it's that portion of goodness we're going to talk about this morning is good works, do stuff. And in order to look at this goodness from the Bible, we want to turn to the book of Galatians. Go ahead and turn to Galatians. We're going to focus on the context surrounding one verse is Galatians 6. Galatians 6 verse 10. What we do in our church, I say it all the time, we preach through books of the Bible. In a few weeks here, we're starting Romans. We're going to be in there for a whole year. But for now, we're just plodding along through this fruit of the Spirit, and we have goodness here in Galatians chapter 6. Let me just start by reading one verse to you, and then we'll get back to the context in a moment. This is the Apostle Paul wrapping up Galatians, and he says this in Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You can put it out in your margin. Do stuff. And what does that look like to do stuff. What does it look like? So this is really going to be easy today. We're going to look at a quick theology of goodness. We're going to try to figure out what are some of the hindrances of why you might not be doing stuff. And then we're going to hit on some of the specifics. So if you like going to church and you like things being kind of general and not specific so you can leave and not do anything, this is not a good day for you to come. We're going to look at specific action stuff for you to do. So let's go ahead and jump in with a quick theology of goodness. And when we talk about theology, we need to start with God. Let's start with God. Theology of goodness. Here it is. God is good. God is good. Let me put some verses up here. Psalm 106.1. You can just look on the screen. Psalm 106.1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Not only does his steadfast love endure forever and he is good, but he's also asking us to taste his goodness. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not only is he good in his character, but the Lord also expresses goodness. God does stuff. He does good. Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So God has expressed goodness in this world. He's expressed goodness to you. He's shown you his love, his kindness, his mercy. A variety of ways you could testify all day on how God has been good to you. But get this. We're still in the theology of goodness. Hope you're with me still. God is the ultimate good he is the ultimate. When we talk about good we say God. He is the ultimate good. In fact, Jesus went as so far to say about the Father. He said this in Luke 18:19. No one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. So here's the, the kind of the tension you should feel. If no one is good except God alone and we are called to exhibit goodness how does that work? So if the Bible says no one is good but God alone, and we're supposed to do good. How does that work? Well, this is where the gospel comes into play. This is where the gospel is front and center. This is where we pretty much shout this A good God has transformed bad people to do good works through Jesus Christ. A good God has transformed bad people to do good works through Jesus Christ. Get this, please. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for bad people. Good people don't get into heaven because there are no good people. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for bad people. So if you're trying to be good to get into heaven, it's not going to work because at the core of who we are in our nature, as we're born into this earth, we've sinned, is that we are bad. Yeah, it's okay. We're all in this together, right? We admit our badness, and God said, I sent my son Jesus. I get this. I sent Jesus to be goodness in your place. Does that sound kind of weird? You see, when Jesus came, he did everything perfectly. He was perfectly good. He was God. Son of God died on the cross for bad people, was buried, and he rose again. I get this. When bad people say, I'm guilty, I'm the bad one, confess our badness. So when I say badness, I don't mean good, I mean bad. We confess that, repent, put our faith in Jesus. Now get this, then God looks down at us in Christ and he says, okay, you're good. Did you get that? He views us now in the goodness of Christ, as we would say, the righteousness of Christ. So he views us as good in Christ. Now we are accepted by a good God because of the goodness in Jesus. Does that make any sense? But not only that, he does this change in us. He changes. He fills with the Spirit. He he causes us to want to do good. And now we have been created in Christ Jesus to do stuff. That's how it works. God has created us in Christ to do stuff. There's a great passage from the book of Ephesians that many of the children in here have memorized. Ephesians 2:10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is so cool. So God created you in christ when you got saved put the spirit in you gave you a new heart he created you to do stuff by the power of his spirit so god in his ordination of history and his sovereignty has ordained before the world began that you would exhibit good works that that you would do stuff now i'm going to kind of go off the record here and so if you want to put your pencils down or your pens down do not write this Uh, i don't know if this is absolutely true but i'm going to kind of explain it this way so off the record it looks like this God has a sovereign playbook of plays. And maybe your name is right on the front of the playbook. And in his sovereign playbook, in his ordaining of goodness for you, there are certain plays of good works that he wants you to do and to carry out. And in his sovereignty, you will do them. Because the Bible just said that he ordained good works beforehand for you to do. So in his sovereign playbook, he has these little small dinky plays of good works for you to do. And sometimes he has these huge good works for you to do. So maybe on one page of his sovereign playbook, it says, okay, the good work that they're gonna do is they're gonna get up at three o'clock in the morning and they are going to change a diaper. It's written down in the sovereign playbook of a good work. Or it may say on the next page, okay, in this sovereign play, now he's gonna go to a remote village, dig a well and lead the whole village to Christ. So occasionally there are these big, huge works in the sovereign playbook, but there are plays that God has ordained Before the world began, for his people to walk out and to live certain good works. So if you're a believer, there is ordained certain works in his playbook that you're going to accomplish. That's cool. That's cool to me. I love that. God has a plan. He wants me to do some good works. He's got it in his playbook for you too. Awesome. But get this. I think... That somehow you and I can mess the stuff up. Now, I'm not gonna get into a big debate about God's sovereign will and God's moral will because it will confuse you and it will confuse me in trying to explain it. But I can say this God has a sovereign playbook of good works that you're gonna execute, but He also has a moral playbook that you know about, right? This is the moral playbook from God. It says specific things that you're supposed to do. And you look at the playbook and you say, oh, this is the Bible. This is what I'm supposed to obey. And get this. You can fail to execute. The plays can be right here and you can fail to execute. This is the playbook you know about. You can hinder... The work that God wants to do through your life, very clear in his word. You can do certain things when there are works that you should do that you're not doing. Why is that? Well, let's go back to Galatians and look at the context of that verse. Are you looking at the context of Galatians? Galatians 6.10, we have the context here, and we start with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you put carrot seeds into the ground, watermelons will not pop out. There's no going to be ag- agricultural magic tricks. The same thing that holds for agriculture also holds in the spiritual realm. If you sow certain things, you will reap. You will reap what you So, God does not play games. God is not mocked. Continue on. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Basically what that's saying is if you're sowing seed of sin in your life, then you will reap corruption. You get in, you get out what you put in. Sowing to the flesh in this context could be the works of the flesh, Uh, Thinks about work salvation, sexual morality, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, on and on and on and on. What's going on is that when you do certain things, you're going to have the repercussions of them. Do not think that you can continue to do certain sins and you can be cool and be no problems. Now, on the flip side, it also says that when you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't just think in terms of the afterlife, but in abundant life now. So those who sow to the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, on and on and on, will experience this special quality of life for the Lord right now. Now, why am I talking about this? Because these verses are in the run-up to doing good. And if you don't get this, God will tell you, right here, do stuff, and you'll say, no stuff. Do stuff, no stuff. And the reason why you're doing that is because you're sowing to the flesh. And when you're sowing to the flesh in the context of doing good, it will hinder good works that we know from God's moral playbook he wants you to do. Let me tell you what I mean. I'm an example of a guy, an example of a girl, so I'm not picking on one or the other. There's a guy. Here's a reoccurring scenario. There's a guy sitting in here right now. I, I don't know. Probably several sits in church all the time. I don't know who he is. From the word of God, you see that there is a call to go and change the world, to go and preach the gospel, to go and help the poor, help the needy. There's this great vision in the word of God that it grips you, you get excited about, you feel stirred by the spirit, and then the guy does nothing. He fails to execute the play happens all the time. Why? Well, it's because of this. You see, the guy has this secret. He has this reoccurring, overarching, never giving up, lust problem in his life. Doesn't really want to do anything about it. It's there. And so when the call goes out, do stuff, he's like, no stuff. Because he feels guilty. He feels shame. He knows that's there. And he, he sees what the word of God is saying. But he's, he so doesn't want to leave his life of lust. And then he fails to execute the play. And I believe that happens all the time. And now there's a girl. There's a girl sitting here. I don't know if she's in here today. Maybe there's several women in here. And here goes the call to change the world. To take risk to live a life of faith, to step out. And the girl gets all stirred up. The woman is stirred up to take steps of faith. She's ready to branch out and go for it. But when it comes time to execute the play, she does nothing. She fails to execute. And why? We see this girl has a lot of fear in her life. There's a lot of fear. She's, she's sowing the seed of fear and comfort. She doesn't want to branch out. I want to call that comes to branch out and do the stuff. She says, no stuff, no stuff. I like my comfort. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to step out in faith. So it happens week after week after week. We're called to do stuff, do stuff, do stuff from God's word. By grace, you've been created to execute the place. And you say, no, no, no stuff, no stuff. It's because I'm sowing to flesh. So I I don't want to exhort you to do good works if you're just going to push back and hinder them by a secret life mentality of sowing to the flesh. And so if I've just described you this morning and you wonder why, why do I keep not doing stuff? It's because of probably some hindrance of sin in your life, maybe some anger issue, resentment, something that's just still there that's keeping you. Maybe it's some anxiety issue that you don't want to deal with, whatever it is. What the word is obviously ultimately calling you to do is to come to the cross, receive forgiveness, because those who keep sowing to the flesh will reap corruption. Just like you keep eating junk food, it can corrupt your heart. If you keep sowing to the flesh, it can corrupt your spiritual life. We want to be those who sow to the Spirit and live this eternal life now. These good works that God has called you to walk in now. Now it's time to get real specific. Way too specific for some of you. Not only do we have, want to have a theology of goodness, not only do we want to knock out all these hindrances to doing stuff, we want to get down to business and we want to do stuff. We do. We, we all want to do stuff. We all want to walk in, and live in those stories, small and big, where we feel like we're being used in this life. When I was at this leadership conference, one of the leaders, one of the key leaders said he believes that a lot of people are leaving God generated visions and dreams on the table. It means that God's giving you the vision. He's stirring you up through his word. And vision after vision, dream after dream are being left on the table undone. I don't want that to be you. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, you know what? I had all these great ideas. I thought about going for it for God, and taking steps of faith, but I left that stuff all on the table. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be me. I want us to live these visions and dreams out of doing stuff that God wants us to do. So let's get down to specifics and talk about what do you mean doing stuff? What are the good works that God wants us to do? Well, let's, let's finish up here with a couple of cool encouragements before we can look at these different realms. Look at verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. One of the biggest encouragement that some of you need to hear right now is do not give up. It takes time for stuff to grow. When you put the seed in the ground, it's like, man, how long is that going to take to grow? When you do good works, you may not be seeing the results. You may be persevering with someone and they are not changing. You may be continue to sow the seeds of the gospel. and People aren't coming to faith. There may be areas in your life that you need to be told right now, keep going with those good works. Keep going doing stuff empowered by the Spirit. Do not give up. Do not become weary. I know you are becoming weary, but just keep going. There is going to be this harvest. You may reap in this life, for sure, in the next. Do not give up doing stuff. Hopefully it's an encouragement for some of you. Next week, come back, we're going to talk about faithfulness, how to keep persevering, persevering, and persevering. But the second encouragement, if you look in verse 10, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. So we can just stop there. So then, as we have opportunity. Maybe you want to underline that because maybe some of you are like me and you think, man, there is way too much stuff to be done in this world and I get overwhelmed and sometimes I end up feeling guilty about what I'm not doing. Anybody feel guilty about what they're not doing? You're like, there's so many needs in this world. I feel so bad that I didn't meet this need. I didn't meet this need. I didn't go and I didn't rescue this person here. I didn't get involved in this movement here. And there's so many things. But notice the word, as you have opportunity. You cannot do everything. I would like to think that I can meet all the needs. I I was thinking about uh, the, the actor Matt Damon. What a great life he leads in making movies. Because his movies, he's like he's in a movie every week, a new movie. Matt Damon's in all the movies. And in one movie, he gets to save a zoo. It's awesome. And in the next movie, he gets to save the world. It's great. And everything in between, he's having these great things where he's saving stuff. He gets to do all this stuff. But he's just an actor, so it doesn't count. But you and I, we just can't bop around with all these different opportunities. We have to say, as we have opportunity within our realm, within our gifts, within our sphere of influence, where can we do good? All right, so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at your world. We're going to look at your work. We're going to look at your home, and we're going to look at your church as we look at some specific ways that you can use your gifts and your passion to make an impact where you live. Are you ready for this? So let's start with the world. Verse 10 says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Everyone that you are close to, you can have an impact on, maybe perhaps in some sense where there's a need in your little sphere, in your little world. But I also think, I can't prove this, but I think that most of you, God has probably given you a burden. He's given you a burden for a certain group of people. Maybe it's you want to impact widows. Or maybe you want to impact orphans. Or maybe you want to impact those in the arts. Or maybe you want to impact refugees. Maybe you want to have an impact on those with disabilities or the unborn or the poor or the addicts, the homeless. Maybe you want to have an impact in the political realm or a neighborhood, neighborhood safety program. Chances are that most of you in here have some type of burden to hit some group of people maybe one person that you really want to express goodness you have this burden and you have this vision in your mind of a group you want to go after let me take a, a little bit of uh, burden off you hey, get this if you want to do good and you have a vision for a certain group you don't have to go and start a nonprofit organization i know most of you or half of you have gone to northwestern and you think you have to do everything so big and huge and raise millions of dollars before you can do it no no, no. Take your burden to whatever group it is and start doing stuff. Many years ago when I lived in Dallas, I would go to, I went to the county jail two times with this, this old man. And in Texas, we would call him a good old boy. Just a good old boy from Texas. He an unpretentious guy. Just had a good old big old buckle belt, when you, what you have in Texas. And so would, I would go to the prison with this guy. A very simple guy. Didn't talk much. We would go to, he would go to the jail and he would go there. Every week, didn't start his own nonprofit, didn't do a huge thing. Just show up, and he would minister to the guys. That was his burden. That was his heart. He would care for them. He'd pray for them. No one knew about it. Wasn't big and flashy. Didn't have a website. None of that stuff. And I, I think that some of you have these burdens in the world that God's given you, and maybe you're waiting for something too big to happen got to be big. No, not really. You can jump into your certain spheres and start to impact people in small ways. And I don't know what it is, but God's called you to do stuff, do good to everyone as you have opportunity. So that's the world. But let's continue to talk about the world where most of you spend your time. Most of you spend your time at work. And maybe some of you are thinking, I need to get done with my work so then I can finally go out into the world and do good. I think some of you need to get a vision for your work, that doing your work is doing good. Don't just think coming to church is the spiritual event of the week where you can do good. No, no. Your work could be doing good. The guy who fixes my refrigerator is doing me good. Those who fix cars, mechanics, are doing good. Those who fix bodies, doctors, are doing good. Stay-at-home moms who take care of their kids are doing good. There are many ways in your spheres of work where you spend most of your time, you can do good. Don't think that God said, okay, here's the Bible, you know. You really can't do most of this stuff because you've got to go to work, so when you get off work, then you can do it. No, no. He wants you at your work, whatever that's at, to do good. So what does that look like? Give me some specifics. Well, there's a certain book out there. Let me show you the title of it. It's Monday Morning Atheist. And down below it says Why we switch God off at work and how you fix it. I don't know how many of you when you jump into work, you just like, God, see you later. No, you don't have to switch them off. In fact, there are ways that God can go to work with you. In fact, God wants to go to work with you tomorrow. And there are specific things where you can do good at work. So I'm going to kind of run through these, a few that they share in their book, I think may be helpful for you. Specific ways you can do good at work. Here, this week, here we go. Number one, pray for the people you work with. <laughs> Is that a stretch? <laughs> Some of the people you work with, you don't want to pray, <laughs> no. Pray for them. Pray for him. Number two, produce high quality work. Do not be that annoying Christian person who's so lazy, who doesn't want to do high quality work. They just want to give you a track or something. Give you some high quality work. Honor God with your work. Quit, get, don't be messing around on the internet, and emailing and texting everybody and just slacking off on your work. It's good stuff there. Number three, cut your complaints. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Anybody complain about their work? Yeah, yeah. Don't, let's quit it. You're like joining in the chorus of everybody else. Let's just complain together. Let's write a song about it. No, stop. Number four, go the extra mile. Do more than the minimum. Why, why not? You're, you're working to produce good. Matter what it is, produce good. Number five, cultivate gratitude. Just, just say, be a grateful person. Be glad that you have a job. Be encouraging others to be grateful. And, and number six, here we go. Be slow to anger. Oh, I know some of you probably get so angry at work. That's not bringing good about. I know we think that it's more spiritual than what's going on right now than what's going to go on tomorrow morning. You think that this is far more spiritual. No, you can do good at work and it can bring glory to God. It's where you spend most of your time. That's where God wants you to do good. Well, the third realm of doing good, and and we could talk about this forever, and I'm not going to, is family. It's very important to do good to your family. And I just want to tell you, generally speaking, generally speaking, you're not going to get a trophy for this. You're not going to get rewards. You're not going to get pats on your back. When you go to work or you can just do something that's really cool, and people are going to say, that's some good work. But at at home, when you do good, I mean, your kids are not going to stop in the middle of the day and go, you know, Dad, that was amazing. Thank you for doing good to me. When I get older, I'm going to just, praise you every day. You're great. Not, not generally. And, and so, and since that's the case, we don't want to do good at home because they're, they're, they don't really make us feel good. We want to do more good out here, right? We want to be on the boards and do all these cool stuff. But at home, ah, there's this, there's this, this story uh, I watched, a documentary, it was so amazing. It was called The Undefeated. Uh, great, great football movie. In fact, one of the best football movies I've seen uh, about a guy in Memphis who decided to go and build into inner-city kids. You see this guy, he became their coach. As, as he was growing up, he didn't have a dad investing in him. So he went to this inner-city uh, school in Memphis where most of the guys there don't have dads, apparently, and he wanted to be a father to them and coach their football team and build into them. And it's just an amazing story. I was like crying and crying and crying, just how they were both loving one another. It was an amazing story. But at the end of the movie, basically... He quits. He quits. And not in a bad way, but he just he quit his job there, which was volunteer. He quit there. And he said this, wouldn't it be ironic? I didn't have a dad. And I'm investing in all these guys because they didn't have dads. But while I'm doing this, I'm not investing in my own kids. During this whole documentary and during this great run that he had on the football team, he wasn't doing Anything with his kids. He said, wouldn't that be ironic? He said, so he stopped. He said, I'm going there. No more coaching the high school and glamorous documentary and the papers. He goes, No, no. I'm going to coach my kids' team. Here we go. I'm going to invest in them. Very little fame, very little pats on the back when you start investing in your family, but we are called, and there's other verses, I don't want to give them to you right now, to invest in our family. And the last realm. To finish it up here is the church. (laughs) Yes, we're called to do good to all, but if you look at the very last portion of verse 10, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. To me, it says this. Do good to all. Do good to your family, but lean into the church. Lean into the church. These are your brothers and sisters and you're called to do good to them. And th- this, th- in this church happens all the time. Happens all the time. You'll, you'll see people encouraging one another, exhorting one another, financial helps flying around, emotional support. People are there for one another. They're sacrificing for one another. And my wife and I have been here for many years. And we have felt the goodness of this church toward us. We've seen the goodness toward one another. I mean, it's a story. It's a story. just amazing stuff that I've seen where this church has really done Good to one another. And I just want to say, most of that goodness is non programmatic. It's informal ministry that goes on all the time. I cannot plan your goodness. That happens all the time. But my job, if you want to call it that, a portion of my job, is to see that, yeah, there is a little bit here. Not, not like most churches, because we're not a huge church. We're not very programmatic. But in some sense, there is some organized and programmatic ways of doing good, wh- which means that I'm gonna ask you to volunteer for ways of doing good. Yes, I'm gonna do that. That's what I'm supposed to do here. And some of you will be asked to be ethos leaders. Some of you will be asked to be an usher, to teach the children, to move stuff, uh, to serve as a deacon or an elder. But for those of you who are new, and, I, and, I, and it's amazing. I think, if I look out there this morning, there's probably about 20% of you who are new here this morning. It's just the way we, we, we roll. Let me explain our church. Do the nature of our church, we turn over all the time. We have amazing people jump in, serve in fantastic ways. We love them, and then we hug them and kiss them goodbyes. They move away around the world. They're great leaders, great servants. Uh, for example, Mike and Molly Aarons, their last day today. Man, they have served our church in so many ways, and they're leaving. They're moving, got a great opportunity. And we've been so blessed by them. We're sending them Even uh, there's also a, a, a Daniel Wang here is, who's leaving uh, soon to go off and do ministry around the world. He's going to China. Whoa, man. Dan's been great servant within this church. And, I, and, and this summer, I could just keep going on and on and on about the wonderful people who have served here. And God's called them elsewhere. And they're gone. And we rejoice. But then, if you're me, I'm like, yikes, (laughs) yikes, we need people now. So this is what happens, we're always turning over like that, and so we need new people to jump in and serve right away. So you may be wondering, if you're new here this morning, you may be wondering, how long do I have to go to this church before I start serving? So I'm going to answer that. So that's the question, how long do you have to go to this church before you start serving? Okay. If you have been here for at least half this service, (laughs) you've been here long enough, all right? Been here half this service, all right? That's the way we roll here. And there there are a variety of things. And this is part of doing good, a programmatic way of digging. So if you're, you're here today, I mean, really, we need you to jump in and start helping. We're not committing you to everything in the world, but just small stuff that are big for us. Check this out. In a few weeks, we're going to two services. We've been talking about this. We're going to two services. And when we go to two services, we're going to need about 60 slots to fill. Slots, let me put this up for you. These slots to do volunteer on a giving Sunday morning on Sunday, uh, two services. So some of those slots only take a few minutes. Others will require all of both the services once per month. So let me just kind of explain what this means. It means we need you doing stuff, lots of stuff some of the stuff that we need you doing, I'll just put it up with the examples. Set up and tear down. We're still a mobile church. We don't own this building or rent it out. We have all our junk stashed downstairs. We bring it out in the morning, set it up. So we need people to set up and tear down. Tear it down. When we're done, all this goes back. 19 slots there. A welcome team. We want to be welcoming to those who are new. Ushering those who facilitate what's going on. And children and nursery teams, obviously, We have kids ministry going on right now. We'll have live training in children's church in the fall. And the worship, AP, I mean, amazing worship team, amazing. And the the sound, the technology. I mean, right now we are live streaming this on the Internet. I mean, just amazing stuff that goes on. But that that requires time and people, and some of it's just a little bit, and some of it's a lot. But what we're asking of you, if you've been here, you know, just this is you want to kind of jump in, test this church out. We really need you to jump in and volunteer. And these are the categories. And basically, all we're asking you to do, if you have a smartphone, you can just email us at ebfchurch.org and let us know what you want to do. And please feel free to sign up for more than one thing. And if you don't have a smartphone, in a minute we're going to pass these community binders. And in the address section, just include your name or email and kind of what you want to do. So in the address section, put what you want to do, the portion you want to volunteer. And I know there are teenagers in here, teenagers you, you don't get a pass on this. If you're a teenager in here, um, and you, you can help set up, tear down, you can help ushering. So we want pretty much everyone to be involved in doing something because there's a lot that needs to be done um, on, on Sunday morning. And if you're already doing stuff, just put down in the, in the section already doing stuff, all right? Already doing stuff. Just let us know. You're already, we're not going to make you feel guilty and just pour a lot of stuff on you. So this morning we talked about doing a lot of things for the Lord. Obviously, a lot of it's can be big stuff, but a lot of it can be small stuff like this. But hey, it's in his sovereign playbook for you to do stuff. And it's in his moral playbook for you to do stuff. Let's not hinder it. Let's step into it and bring glory and praise to his name. Let's pray. Lord, you're faithful and you have done something. You sent your son Jesus to die for us to fill us with your spirit, to change us, to empower us to do the works that you've ordained before the foundation of the world, that we may walk in them. There are great things and small things and everything in between that you want us to do. May we not hinder them with our sin, with our fears, with our anxiety. I, I just really... Yeah, I, I, just, I wonder and I sense that there's a guy and a girl or several who are really stirred up with big visions that they've been putting off and hindering and tabling and tabling and tabling. But this morning, they would just start to address some of those issues that keep making them table these visions you've given them, whether it's fear or anxiety or some other sin in their lives. Just show them what's hindering them from moving forward to stepping into what um, you're calling them to do. And Lord, we do want to love. We want to branch out in our world, in our community, in our church, and our families, to bring you glory. So Lord just just enable us to persevere and to press on into doing good works for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.